0: memory
1: about being in our very unique city. Washington? Yeah. My really incredible experiences there have been with the National Council of Negro Women, who was then headed by Dr. Dorothy I. Height, and she started what was called the Black Family Reunions. I'm from New York City, maybe because of the time that I was raised and came up. I didn't know about our Negro National Anthem. Oh, wow. So I was traveling with her. I, I saw her. She was getting a NAACP award. And I saw her and I found her number and called her and asked her, could I just go around with her and be, be with her? Could you find something for me to do to be with her? I was so impressed with her. And so she let me travel with her and she was doing these black family reunions in the, the major black populated cities. Of course, Washington was one of them. So she said, well, uh, Melba, why don't you sing something for our prayer breakfasts that we have? I said, okay, fine, what do you want? She said, why don't you sing the Negro National Anthem? And I didn't know what it was. <laughs> but to make a long story a little shorter, I was with Capitol Records. And our A&R person, his name was Scott Fols, was a black person. So he didn't promise me anything, but he knew what, what my concerns were and what, what my inspiration was to try to do. Right. He got B.B. Winans. And, of course, CeCe came along with him. Package deal. <laughs> and he got Stevie Wonder. He got Dionne Warwick. He got, first of all, Debbie Allen uh, directed the video. He got Jesse Jackson to do the narration for the record. Lou Gossett to do the one for the video. Jeffrey Osborne, Stephanie Mills, Anita Baker. I'm trying not to forget anybody. <laughs> uh, that Jasmine Guy danced. I can't remember everybody that did the video. But anyway, I went and learned me, lift every voice and sing. (laughs) But then we were going to do it. And I told um, Scott, I said, Scott, don't let me do it by myself because there's probably a lot of people like me who don't know it. And if it's successful, they're going to think it's my hit record. (laughs) A smart lady. You're a smart lady. Anyway, Dr. Hyde got Walter. I can't think of his last name, but he was head of the Congressional Black Caucus. He's the one who got it entered into the congressional record. Because of me and my little ignorance, our national anthem is official on record in the congressional record. That's Washington, me. Check, check, check one, check two, check, check. Behind the mic, live from D.C. First of all, you didn't ask me, but I'm very excited because I'm getting close to the time when I'm going to receive the Hollywood Walk of Fame star. Is this like the first time you're actually saying it, the fact that you're going to receive one? No, I'm talking about it a million times. I just keep getting excited, but I'm going to consider that a gift. Prolific entertainer and activist Melva Moore, honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The five-octave singer is a Tony Award-winning actress. She's also been nominated for a Grammy four times. Moore started her Broadway career in the original cast of Hair, replacing Diane Keaton. (laughs) I want you to, to know that I'm honored, that I'm absolutely astonished. I never, ever, ever thought of anything like this. I never even thought about it.
0: I think that when we start to lose the the positive nerves that we get when we're doing the thing that we do well, then just forget it. Hang up the mic. Hang up the whatever it is.
1: I agree. You just have to learn how to control it and direct it and have people around you that help you do things. So there's not too many things for you to do. You you don't get scattered because you don't want to lose that that excitement.
0: Miss Melba. How does a woman who has done Broadway and several successful television franchises still get nervous?
1: Still get nervous? Yeah. You know what? I think it's partly because of the way things happened. There weren't something where I was so smart and I sat down and I made a plan and I put it all together. And, it, you know, so I knew what was going to happen. It was no surprises. You can kind of get comfortable. And I think, well, fool of yourself a cocky. You can get too relaxed. And you stop really thinking about what could go wrong. There's nothing to scare you. <laughs> love. I
0: that the stage is where you wanted to to really be?
1: I didn't really have a clue. As a matter of fact, what happened was I was teaching school and I asked my dad to take me around to some of his agents to get me, my dad was a performer. My dad and my stepdad were performers to get me into the industry. And I met a lot of people, but one of the first people I met was Valerie Simpson. We exchanged numbers and she got me started into singing backups and, and studio backup singing and jingle work. Before that, I was a public school music teacher in uh, Newark, New Jersey. So my first entree into the industry was that. But one of the recording sessions was for the Broadway show Hair. And they were still casting. So we I didn't really audition for that, but, but they liked the way that we sang. And so it was about two weeks full of music. So they actually had a chance to hear us all sing very well and said, you know, we're still looking, looking for some strong singers. So if you come down and sing for the director and the producer, we'll find a parts for you in the play. So that's how I got my first Broadway show. But I wound up, before I left, replacing Diane Keaton in the lead role. And then one of the the girls in the chorus reminded me that I did not know how to audition. And she said, you've been in this play for a long time, it's gonna come to an end soon. You're on Broadway now, You, you need to make it continue. So she told me about auditions for what turned out to be my next Broadway show but I wasn't trying to get the part I was just trying to learn how to audition, <laughs> and you ended up getting the part it still tickles me I was still trying to learn how to audition but I got the part God can call you in ways you don't know it is you just follow what's going on and be ready to try to learn on the job if you don't know what it is that's really what's happened to me I've been learning as I go Every day that goes by Suddenly feels much
0: better It's the Favorite of all that you do and have done, do you prefer the stage? Do you like television shows creating and starring? Do you like performing in, in places where where it's intimate like a
1: blues alley? Or do you love it all? I absolutely love it all, but I won't be that vague. But I, I focus on music because I feel it's like an anointing. If I follow that, it will do like it always did. It opened the doors for everything else. And if I didn't know what to do, I would have good directors and writers and a good team around me to help me learn on a job. So I still, it's, I don't know that it's my favorite. Maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know. When I get to, in the in, like for instance, I had such a good time doing uh, the Fighting Temptations movie. And one of the things I was just. Enthralled with Because I'm a born-again Christian, I don't fill my head with a whole lot of things. I don't go to a lot of movies. So I really didn't know who Cooby Gooding Jr. was. And he was acting like he was going to be the choir director. But he stood flat-footed and did a back-over flip. And I almost gagged. I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know he was an athlete.
0: <laughs> he does what he has to do for the part. But everybody
1: in that movie was like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm... Good, kind of decent friends with uh, Pastor Shirley Caesar because she helped me a lot in my my path and learning about being a born again Christian and everything. Yeah, and when we were at uh, Oprah Winfrey's party that she gave for everybody, <laughs> all these different people, and we're in one of these fabulous rooms of Oprah's. And so Pastor says to me, she says, "Melba, who is that over there?" She said, "That's somebody secular. Who is that?" I said, "Pastor, that's Mary J. Blige." <laughs> See. So, you know, we're kind of like that kind of television. But but Pastor um, was one of the major parts. And, oh, excuse me, one of the major parts. She and Ann Nesby opened the, the movie. Oh, um, yes. With, with, that's a voice. Was no? that duet? Yeah. Oh my, like, Ann Nesby. Ann, Ann has been a good friend, too. And she kind of, like, coaches me, trying to help me learn how to sing gospel, you
0: know. And and you know what? Uh, Ann's been doing some, you know, she did some acting. She had a, a role on the last season the last two seasons Tina. of Queen Sugar. Oh, what's Ava, Queen Sugar? Ava DuVernay series. So it wrapped up after oh, seven
1: seasons. Of course. I said, because I know that was, face. She was, she was traveling on the road, too, with, um, I, I, think it was, I think it was Tina's story. Yeah, I think it was Tina's story.
0: Incredible. You know what? I want to play something for you from your uh, television days.
1: question, your new 13 13-year-old daughter has been invited for a ski weekend with a rock group. Do you A, lock her in a bedroom until she's married, B, calmly explain to her that wild ski weekends are inappropriate for 13-year-olds, or C, wax your skis and your legs and go with her? <laughs> I say B. It's inappropriate. C.
0: Go with her. (laughs) Mom, I don't believe you.
1: That's not how you raised us. I did a pretty good job of raising Melba. And after your mother died, I did a pretty good job of raising you. Yeah, Mama, but you wouldn't let us go on no wild ski trip. Well, that was the Melba show, which was the second television show that I'd had. The first one was the Melba Moore Clifton Davis show. And that was made possible for me because I was then married to a man who, I'm not married to him anymore. But his genius is business and entrepreneurism. To me, that's the other side of of, of talent, because you really can't represent yourself. But he went to CBS and told them they need to give me a TV show. Oh, wow. And that's one of the uh, um, segments from it. It didn't continue because we broke up. And also, the day that it was supposed to air, the uh, space shuttle blew up. So I've had a couple of interruptions in my would-be continuously successful careers. But here we go. We're going to try it again. (laughs) <laughs> Said, Don't tell me not to live just sitting and putter Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter Don't bring her on a cloud to late on
0: Instead of you, Miss Melba, that you are the reason we have a Freddie Jackson.
1: Freddie and I still good friends, close friends. Once again, my now ex husband had the genius of going and finding an incredibly talented artist by the name of Kashif. But Kashif brought along with him Paul Lawrence, who wrote "Rock Me Tonight" for uh, Freddie. He wrote "Love's Coming at You" for me, <laughs> and a bunch of other things. He he brought on. Freddie Jackson, Lisa Morgan, a, b- a bunch of other artists that he worked with. And so I got to work with them and we had our management company. So we began to start, we be- actually began with Freddie to start to get them placed with major record companies and start to help groom their careers and just share with them everything. I was I was basically a mentor in, in terms of being with them as a performer and sharing with them whatever it is I knew. And, and of course, they shared with me, Freddie shared with me, his genius and his... His confidence always comforting me, being there with me, actually really being friends, supporting each other. How did you meet him? I took him out on the road with me as a backup singer. And I knew that he was a great singer, although I hadn't really heard him. Well, if I had, I, I can't remember that now. But I remember that I did not want him to be, put him in a, a vulnerable position of opening for me. So I put him in the middle of my show. I didn't go to his rehearsal or anything. So I didn't hear him sit until he was on the stage. And he he's sang Good Morning Heartaches. I was like, oh, my God. You're like,
0: this man can sing.
1: I look like the, the boy from Home Alone. <laughs> Macaulay. <laughs> he was he was so devastatingly fabulous as far as I, concerned. I was concerned. This was before we put him with Capitol Records. I mean, we were going to do that anyway because I'm sure my then-husband had heard him and knew what he sounded like, and that's one of the reasons he... You know put him in, uh, helped to put him in into my ensemble to travel with us but when I heard him I said oh my goodness he's he's so extraordinary he's unusual and then he was so funny so you know your personality is is as important as your singing ability once you get on stage doesn't matter in the studio yeah amen to that so I could see that that he was just a total entertainer mm-hmm. I want to hold you in I
0: about your business acumen? I mean, record label, television shows, Broadway, successful music career. I hear a lot about the passion of making music, the ability to make music, uh, the calling to make music. But what I rarely hear is someone being on top of the business of making music.
1: It usually is not the case because that has been purposely taken from us, not taken hidden from us. So one of the things I always say when people say, "Well, how would you um, instruct somebody? What would you advise?" Learn well, about the business. How is how is your economy structured? You need to have money to live. You need to have money if you if you get sick. You you need to have money to have a roof over your head. How does how does basic economics work? And that's easy. You know, you you send a little boy or girl out to sell newspapers or to sell lemonade or whatever. You're teaching the structure. Business—that's what everybody has to know—and that was intentional. It wasn't just for, for black people, but of course, we we suffered forty times more than everybody else from having that information hidden from us and uh, us being told that we needed to have an accountant. We need to—we needed to have a, a lawyer, and of course, those were the first ones to rob you of your very life. And, and uh, if if you're ten years old, you can learn that. So. You can learn that yourself. Nobody's teaching you that. And just somebody's telling you right now that it's important and it is business and it is structure. And you can develop greater knowledge of it by going to school. But you don't have to. You don't have to know how to read and write. You can learn that now. That's important for you to know. Speaking of nine
0: and 10 years old, is that when you began to develop the craft or did you already have the voice and they were trying to help you hone in?
1: No, because my family was broken in the beginning and my mother was a single parent. And she was out trying to take care of her mother, who had uh, strokes and was invalid and couldn't speak. And I was raised by a nanny, so uh, we didn't have—I didn't have the structure that should have been there. The father was missing; it was a broken, broken family. So the the beginning was very scattered and 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 unfocused in terms of the family structure. But, <laughs> but like many single parents do, so like many parents do, she sent me to Catholic school. So first of all, I became christened or baptized, Uh, I I became, uh, uh, the religious structure was the basis and foundation for my education, which meant that, well, I was in a good school. I was in St. Thomas Aquinas School. But without even knowing it, your instructions were very, very, very solid, and they were godly. So that base, I'm sure, is the reason why sometimes, I don't even know I'm structuring it, but it's there. So, of course, I would encourage uh, new parents to get your kids in some kind of a religious school because it's, it's godly and it's going to be um, authentic and you're going to get a good basis. Even if they don't stay there, we'll have a good, good beginning.
0: And then in 1971, you got a Grammy nod for Best New Artist. Do you remember what that felt like when you got that notification? Is that something you could ever forget? I can never forget it,
1: first of all, because it was a culmination of my then husband and our bringing our talents together because he was so thorough, devoted and good at uh, managing my career. And his basic area was recording. So he got the, the record companies. He got the songwriters. He got me Van McCoy. I remember this is one of the first things that happened not the very first, but one of the first that's very important because I had heard, like everybody else, Aretha Franklin, and I heard this song, Lean On Me. But then my husband, Charles Huggins, had gotten me um, a recording situation with, I think it was Columbia Records. I'm not sure if it was Epic or Columbia. there have been a few now. I'm not sure if I got this right. But they went and got Van McCoy. And the first thing I did was that I reminded him that he wrote Lean On Me, I know, and I think Vivian Reed had performed it, but I heard Aretha Franklin's version of it. My point is this I took a few crumbs from the Queen's Table, and it's now become a signature song for me, Ben McCoy's Lean On Me. But this came because of my, my ex husband's anointing and great talent at business and particularly in the recording field. This is why I've had like 33 albums, and I'm just releasing a new album. And this, this one is a family project because my daughter brought it to me because I wasn't even seeing or knowing or speaking to my husband. Excuse me, excuse me, my ex-husband. <laughs> but she was. And so the whole thing is coming full circle and having some kind of restructure of my family. This is a family project. I'm going to pass the baton to her, Charlie. It is on her label, her entertainment company. I still get to do what... I do and sing great songs. Of course I gotta take care of my, my instrument and my, my spirit and everything. And at this age, that's that's a challenge because everything starts to kind of wear out and you know try to pass away, but I'm not doing that. Keep us down.
0: favorite thing about being in and performing in Blues
1: Alley? I really do love the intimacy. There's something special about an intimate place. Uh, It's a place now that I have memories of people coming from various places all over the world to Blues Alley and to to see me. So the fact that it's small doesn't, doesn't mean that you are denied anything. The great quality of the musicians that I've had here there and the way that they treat me, they treat me. Well, I mean, you know, Saravana's sung there, Nancy Wilson, the best jazz musicians. I feel like it's a landmark. It is a
0: landmark. And that stage is 100% anointed with a special kind of oil. Can we agree on that?
1: Absolutely. I think that's what I feel about Blues Alley. It could so easily have Gone by the wayside, especially during the pandemic and everybody lost their foundations and the structural basis for things kind of crumbled in some areas and it wasn't there for you anymore. So you had to figure out a way to do something to come back, because even if you were still there, you still had to reconstruct, re reposition and Blue's Alley is still there. So I'm very, very, very grateful because because it is a landmark that we hope will be there for you know, people coming along to come there and witness it and hear about who was there before and add to it that that it continues to stay there.
0: It is definitely a Washington, D.C. institution. Thank you so
1: much for spending some
0: time with me and, and sharing stories. These are the stories that I can't hear from anybody but someone like you. So it feels like a great honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you can tell that I've enjoyed this so very much. You are my national treasure. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Yes, warm as I hoped you would be. You too. Bless you. Melba has three dates at Blues Alley, August 25th, 26th, and 27th. You can get your tickets at Blues Alley or bluesalley.com. Until next sound check. But I didn't
1: decided... want to sing it by myself anymore. So I invited some of my dear friends to help me sing about freedom and cause it to ring.